you know, gate. Okay, I'll stop. I see the I see the I saw the record light go on. <laughs> you almost got me. You'll try not to do what? <laughs> you almost got me. Dang it. <laughs> That's on the other computer. Yep. Yep. All right. Um let's just go ahead and let let's uh, we'll start here. I don't know if I should count down or not. Well, I mean we're you know, we're on a it's it's sort of a almost an anniversary. Um you know, there was there was a guy who was an apocalyptic figure, right? And he had a very committed group of people around him. Uh, he thought he was going to bring about God's kingdom in one place, and then he decided, no, no, it's going to happen uh, in, in this specific place. So he took his followers there, and they set up shop, and didn't go so well. And uh, he was accused of an armed insurrection, and the authorities tried to figure out what to do with him. And finally, you know, they they uh, took him out and. and many of his followers. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind because that was what, 23 years ago. And that was David Koresh. Yes. Yeah. In Waco, so. Texas. See what I did there. I see what you, you did there. Kind of uh, sounds like uh, somebody else, right? Kind of sounds like Jesus's story. I was going to say Brian of Nazareth, but yes, Jesus is <laughs> Brian of Nazareth. <laughs> always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the bright side of life. Uh, yeah. So it's good Friday. Um, which still is just one of those puzzling names. And Jesus was crucified on Thursday, but we're going to bump it up to Friday. Right. But right. This is uh, what's the uh, game show um, that Drew Carey used to host um, the improv show. Oh, I love that show. It was a great um, show. Not necessarily a fan of him. Whose line is it anyway? Whose line is it anyway? Right. But yeah. I did like that. He said, you know, where the rules are, you know, the rules are made up and like, you know, nothing matters or something like and that. The, point, the of, points don't matter. The points don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that it, it's kind of that way too, right? Good for like Friday, yeah, whatever. That we're gonna say it's Friday, it doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. Well, the rules, are unless we're running for the Republican nomination, then the facts really matter. We'll get to that later. 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 Oh, uh, what a week, man! So it's, but, it's Holy Week as well in the United States, right? Right. Yeah. So it, it is interesting. In um, with what with your intro there. Because I think, I mean, this is part of the conversation we were having in the pre-show. Uh, <clears throat> oh, we broke the wall there. Sorry. Oh, we'll try not to do that for five minutes. Um, but, you know, this idea of kind of how these movements start. And in, you know, in a lot of ways, like, why could David Koresh not be the next Jesus? Right? So we'll brace for the hate mail, but um, well, I mean, so what do you mean? Un unpack that, if you will. What do you mean by these movements? What type of movements? Well, various movements that turn into things that we ultimately later call your religions that, you know, other people may have called cults, right? That the, um, you know, the, that some people in the ancient world called superstitio, you know? Um, but, you know, these movements with kind of a, a charismatic leader, that take on, you know, get to be understood in kind of a larger than life way that hope to talk about things, as Bruce Lincoln would say, eternal and transcendent when a, with an authority that is equally transcendent and eternal. Do you have that memorized? Well, some of it. Yeah, most of it. It's only there are only 13 theses and they're just like a sentence or a couple of sentences long each. So they're not that hard to memorize. <laughs> Plus, it's like, it's like every other class. I'm like, you remember what Bruce Lincoln said? Uh, I got Remember you. the questions Bruce Lincoln asked, you know, said that we should ask of text. I did that today. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, we talk about these apocalyptic movements, especially um, where you have someone like Jesus who being a charismatic figure, you know, had a movement around him and then gets punished by the state and is seen as, I mean, we would call it today terrorism, but, uh, you know, seen as someone who is trying to overthrow the order of things in this case, for Jesus, you know, the Roman situation, but David Koresh, you know, was trying to bring back the kingdom of God to, I guess, Mount Carmel um, in Texas right. yeah. and, and it, yeah, and, and overthrow the, the nature of things. Um, and, and the, the thing for me, that's beautiful. I mean, I, I'm a person of faith. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm into the Jesus stuff, but what's interesting for me, are is you that, an SBNR? <laughs> right. The thing for me is that it, when you look, I guess, you know, from a historical liter literary perspective or whatever, you know, Jesus wasn't, wasn't the first person to do this. He didn't come up with this idea right. of, oh, I'm going to be an apocalyptic preacher who preaches the end of time and gets a following around me. 
And we portray him as that so often, you know, in movies and in TV shows. And, you know, we, we sort of like to think of Jesus as this, um, you know, religious inventor, you know, kind of like a Steve Jobs figure who comes out with the iPhone. and <laughs> No one's thought of that before. And it's like, well, right. you know, and lots of people have done things like that. Um, so, you know, we've got this new movie coming out, Last Days in the Desert with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's going to be Jesus. <laughs> Another white Another guy. White guy. Eyes and a Scottish accent. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and I, I know that's more of your side of things when it comes to the studies, but um, there's going to be a lot more attention on, on things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and the Teacher of Righteousness and that kind of thing, right? Yes. Do you want to talk about I don't really want to talk about that part, though. Okay, we don't have to talk about him. I think he's interesting, but yeah, he's um, inter- yeah, he's interesting, no doubt. But but no, I mean, I think I think you're going back to Daniel, even yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I think your larger point stands, right? Um, and this is, I mean, we've had these conversations before about kind of fundamental issues that I think you and I understand there to be in a lot of seminaries and divinity schools in the country today. Is that it, it's not? I mean, there are some that probably aren't teaching great things, but a lot of them I think are teaching like decently good academic stuff, but then people get their degrees, they go to work for a church and they act as if they never learned any of that for various reasons. Right. But I think a lot of it kind of comes down to job security or perceived job security. They feel like, oh, I can't tell them this. And so we're just kind of perpetuating these, um, you know, really uninformed ideas. And there's this kind of fear over, you know, I may lose my job, I may make people lose their faith, and that's not what I'm here to do and things like that. And so nobody talks about the things that they know about, right? They don't talk about Apollonius of Tiana. They don't talk about all the other apocalyptic itinerant preachers, um, you know, or any of that stuff. They don't talk about- Even if they're mentioned in the Bible, you know, like like the, what's his name? Uh, Judas, the Galilean. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, that Josephus also mentions. Um, right. Though it looks and it looks like the author of Acts gets Judas and Theodos switched chronologically, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he does that a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Or John the Baptist, right? I mean, there's some fairly prominent theories, you know, kind of a two Messiah theory that Jesus and John the Baptist were dueling messiahs, so to speak. And Jesus ends up kind of winning, and that's why he gets John the Baptist's followers. Um, yep. And like, so even, I mean, even in the highest Christological gospel that we have, right, with the gospel of John and its opening that it's like all the way at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there, right? So we're not even going to give you a birth story because we don't need that because Jesus was there at the beginning of creation and he created all this stuff, right? And so this is kind of real poetic or whatever. And you're reading along, you're like, oh, this is nice. This is, yeah, great. Yay, Jesus. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but John the Baptist, like, no, that he wasn't the Messiah. Don't, don't look over here. Don't look at the John the Baptist behind the locust covered shirt here. That's not him. <laughs> Pay attention to Jesus. Right. And it really feels like, what are you trying to make me not see? Right. Cause it really breaks the flow. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, there's a lot there that is just completely being ignored, I think, by a lot of a lot of preachers. So you can't really kind of fault the people in the congregation because, you know, the person in front of them is the one that has the education that is yeah. not, you know, sharing their knowledge. But but you do have this idea of Jesus like and that's there's the idea that Jesus and like kind of Christianity as a whole has to be completely unique or else. It's like not true. I mean, it, 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 has, to, it has to apply either way. Right. Or it might be true either way. But but for some reason, there is a connection that's been made between like complete and utter uniqueness with truth. Yeah. Which I think yeah, is so a, you, right. But it's in, I mean, right. as you'll be, not be surprised for me to say, it's, it's a way of kind of drawing insider outsider boundaries. Right. Because if anybody has, so we're reading in my um, sex and sexuality class, um, about the kind of interpretive strategies that church fathers used to read the text so that they could get an ascetic reading from the text. And so we were looking at Elizabeth Clark's fantastic book, Reading Renunciation, and she has this whole like 80-page chapter where she goes through just 1 Corinthians 7 and like and in a commentary, but the commentary is basically what all of these church fathers are saying about it. And she's kind of analyzing them and their rhetorical like reading strategies. And it's just, and it's fascinating. But um, 
what you see in that is, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, well, what was I going to say? I forget now. That's bad. Uh, you were talking about insider outsider language and, and Christianity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you, know. you. Thank you. I don't know how that happened. Oh, but so this idea of like, well, can marriage, like, is marriage a gift from God? Blah, blah. And you see some answering it and saying, no, marriage is not a gift from God because even the pagans marry. Right. So this idea that like whatever we have has to be completely unique and special to us because we are special, special snowflakes. Well, we, you know, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath because that's when the Lord rose and that's what the early Christians said, right? Right. Yeah. The first day of the week. Yeah. Uh, we, we should really have my wife on here to, to talk about this because we had a big conversation this week, actually last night on the way to a function because she's reading, um, I won't say who, but she's reading a very popular pastor's book at the time, the time being right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in the book, the the pastor says that uh, the pastor's and I'm trying not to gender identify. The pastor is uh, describing the way that uh, stations of the cross are set up at at uh, the place where that pastor is pastor. <laughs> this is hard to do. <laughs> You're doing it's great. A she. She's a she. All right. Uh, so anyway, she she sets up these stations of the cross, and they have to do with um, you know very modern and very relevant you know, situational things that, that, uh, you know, people in 2016 are facing, which is a nice way to do it. You know, so as you experience the different stations of the cross on your way through Monday, Thursday, you reflect on how you felt or how you participated in the event of, you know, this massacre or, you know, this unfair thing or this person who lost their life because they didn't have health care. Um, <laughs> yeah. The person we didn't want to talk about, I'm sorry, I was I just happened to look at Twitter. The person we, we didn't want to talk about earlier, people have created a hashtag. Oh, really? Um, here, I'll, I'll retweet. <laughs> Fans of the show, hopefully. Uh, so anyway, um, and, and you know, I was like, okay, so, you know, does it matter that the Last Supper was not really a Seder, you know, Passover meal? Or does it matter that Jesus was crucified on a Thursday rather than Friday, you know, historically? Um, and so we're kind of having a, a back and forth about that and, you know, the role of eisegesis and the role right. of, um, like you were saying, having that inside or outside, outsider language, but also, you know, putting our place, putting ourselves into the story, but, but wanting to think that the story is unique and, and a pretty white snowflake in the middle of, you know, vast desert of humanity that, that needs that snowflake. And all those brown people. It's a good thing that we had a white Jesus. Right. Uh, as our movies and TV shows show us, you know, just like our, our chat bots and our, you know, our, yes. our assistant helpers and our Google nows all have female voices, you know, and they, they sound like attractive females because that's what, you know, we men want. Um, it, just the idea of, you know, whether and how that historicity plays into interpretation. Um, <clears throat> and uh, for, I, I forgot the, the author of the piece, but, uh, something came across on Facebook and it was talking about how, you know, the, the last supper was not a Seder meal, but, right. uh, you know, it, it functioned differently, blah, blah, blah. So I, I made the mistake of reading the, the Facebook comments and, you know, most of all the comments were, it doesn't matter who cares. You know, that was thousands of years ago. What really matters is the message of Jesus's love for all of humanity. And that, you know, in order to be saved, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and savior and, you know, pray this with me. Um, and that's, you know, that's the real core of the message. And that's the unique thing. It doesn't, you know, who cares whether he, you know, whether they had the bread first or the wine first or whether the bread actually, you know, was supposed to be the body right. and the blood or whether that was Paul that invented that, which it was, um, because, you know, drinking blood was not something that Jews could do even symbolically. Um, and, and to me, that just really sells the faith short because you take the Jewishness and you take the, the culture out of that message and, and not that we can ever get there again, you know, and I'm not saying that you have to have a, a historical Jesus in order to have Christianity, but, you know, it's just like with David Koresh. Imagine 2000 years from now, if people are walking around and instead of crosses as their signs of execution, you know, they're wearing what fire bombs or whatever the know, FBI the used. ATF, logo, right? ATF, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Or a machine gun or something, right? 
Yeah. So imagine they're walking around with that. And it's like, well, who cares if David Koresh was a rapist? I mean, you know, that's not really the heart. Of, I'm not saying, <laughs> not equating that with Jesus, but, you know, it's sort of that glossing over in order to say this is a very unique message that humanity needed to hear. Right. Uh, I just think that's that's fascinating. And not that I believe it, but I love the stuff, you know, where people are trying to say, well, you know, and, and Jesus is missing years. He went over to, um, you know, the Hindu Kush and Kathmandu and he was living in yeah, magic in India. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's all these things in his teachings and, and, and the way he does parables. And it's like, well, no, actually, you know, parables were a convention in, in the Galilee at the time, but also, uh, you know, that the, you don't need that explanation of him having to pick up and go to Germany in order to get this, you know, teaching from the Norsemen and bring it back to Galilee. Not that there were Norsemen in that period. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that idea of, well, clearly uh, we had to have people on boats between Polynesia and South America or, you know, people sailing over from Morocco to uh, Brazil because we found these things and they look very similar and the Aztecs have pyramids and it's either aliens or, you know, there was this spread of culture and we didn't realize it yet. I don't know. It's, it's a convoluted thing, I guess I'm trying to say, but we um, we sell ourselves short, I think, when we don't look at the, the wider story of, of the ancient world and think about how <clears throat> how movements like like the Jesus movement, um, you know, didn't exist in a vacuum and they and they weren't you know, pretty unique snowflakes. No, it, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, that's part of what I've been talking about in my class for a while, <clears throat> particularly as we've been talking about, you know, r how people read text is that no interpretation is neutral. Right. And it, and it necessarily cannot be. And then of course, related to this translations are not neutral either. Translations are interpretations as well. Um, but you know, they, everyone that reads the text is bounded by the society in which they live, the culture in which they um, take part, the group that they identify with, the ways that they identify themselves. They are bounded uh, for what are, you know, what we used to call kind of philosophically live options, right? And what could be potential acceptable interpretations that they could offer. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right that, that we do, you do lose a lot when you don't, when you attempt to divorce any historical figure from whatever we can understand about their historical situation, their historical settings. Or, or to explain today, you know, for, for us Christians today being, you know, a very high holy day in, in terms of the day that Jesus was crucified, um, to explain that away with, oh, well, the Jews and the Romans hated him and they wanted to kill him. So they killed him. It's like, well, there was a lot of other things going on. And, you you know, if you understand the way the temple worked, the way the, you know, according to the Gospels, the way the sort of the process of, of them deliberating, you know, what to do with Jesus and what to do with these uh, you know, revolutionaries, I think that's such a, a much more lively way to think about things like today or, or you know, even in terms of the resurrection and, and what, you know, as far as we can go back and, and sort of not try to determine what really happened or how that happened, but in terms of taking what we can reasonably put together and trying to extrapolate meaning out of that in any, in each of our different ways, not that there's you know, one meaning out of, you know, a, a text or uh, an eyewitness or something like that. But I don't know. It, it's, it, you got to walk that fine line between, I think, you know, kind of the, the postmodern idea that, you know, there, there's not one privileged translation or interpretation, of course, but also, you know, something happened and how can we be better informed about what happened in terms of, you know, not going into a grand historical meta narrative, but, but coming up with some kind of a understanding of, of the situational events. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Uh, so I think, I mean, part of the kind of tug we have at least kind of in the um, the academic study of religion right now is from a theoretical standpoint the idea of history right um, and on the one hand we know yes like meaning doesn't 
exist or it only exists. Okay. Meaning does exist, but like a text does not have meaning. A text only has meaning insofar as it is supplied by its readers, right? We understand this. I mean, literary theory has known this for, you know, 30 years now, and we're finally catching up to that. Um, so we understand that, but, but we also understand like it does have real meaning for particular people in particular situations. Texts do have meaning, but there's no stable meaning of the text. We understand that. Um, and we also understand the very real ways that um, power is involved in the production of history. And we also understand the limits, the necessary limits to our job as historians. But I also agree with you in that at the end of the day, something happened. And I do think that the pictures, the historical pictures that we offer can be more or less accurate can be closer or farther away from what actually happened. Um, they, it is still a, whatever we offer is still a, a possible reconstruction, but I think that our possible reconstruction, some are feasible and some are not. Right. So like saying, okay, this is the garden of Gethsemane here in downtown Jerusalem. This is where it happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this uh, is the upper room, you know, which is not yeah, even exactly, right. So they, they have exactly. a place they take tourists. I've been there. Other side it's not even inside what <laughs> would have been the old city walls. Like, so it's clearly not the upper room. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Or like it's near this hillside is where Jesus may have given the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus definitely walked along these steps. And it's like, come on. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Via Della Rosa, right? I mean, that, that whole idea. Uh, so speaking of that, I mean, how would, okay. So, you know, say I invited you to come to my church and, you know, learn us about some Easter stuff. How does this relate to, I guess, the the, the notion of, of Easter itself? I mean, this is the big weekend for, for Christians on the calendar. Uh, so if you could boil it down, I guess, because we could do this for, you know, a couple of days. Um, how could we take what we just talked about and apply that to what we consider the, the Easter event. I don't know. That's above my okay. pay grade. <laughs> that's Applications is not really my specialty. Yeah, that's true. Um, need a developer yeah. for that. <laughs> so it's a good thing we have one on the show right now. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just think it's fascinating to think about things like everything from the symbology of, of Easter, you know, whether it's the name itself, you know, down to why are there Easter bunnies? <laughs> why, why is there chocolate? Why is there candy? Why are there eggs? Right. Yeah. Since when do bunnies lay eggs? <clears throat> bunnies don't lay but eggs. It's the, I guess that's why the are people in, in the UK? <laughs> that's one of them. Why in the UK are people upset that the Cadbury and Nestle UK companies are taking Easter off their candy things this season so if you go to the uk you can't buy the cadbury packaging that says you know easter candy or whatever and the anglican church there is really upset um i can't wait for trump to talk about that the world on easter great the world on ishtar oh wait uh so you know i don't know everything from from the idea that you know sunday was the day of resurrection down to the name of the holiday, you know, and, and you, you talk to people who are skeptical of things like religion. And one of the first things that gets thrown at you is <laughs> your, your, your high holiday is celebrated with Easter bunnies and with yeah. eggs, like the two signs fertility. Right. fertility. <laughs> it's great. I know. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes. And, and your name comes from, you know, ancient Samaria, uh, at least, you know, probably further back. So, you know, how do you wrap that around? Like, why not call it, you know, resurrection day or getting up out of the grave day and, well, and you know this is the one day of the year we all put it on up put on our seersucker and in our pretty suits and we go to church and it's not the well okay yeah um you know, in, in florida at the at the capitol they have a seersucker day where like all the men and women wear seersucker suits yeah um do they oh, really yeah. oh it's a huge thing <laughs> yeah uh it's it's a oh, fun funny. day here in tallahassee when that happens um but so here's what i will say here's here's the here's the like modern connection i would make you know how you see all these t-shirts that like a youth groups did and it's like a spoof on like the Cubs logo or like the Coke logo or the Sprite oh, logo the Pepsi or one. whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? But it's clear like somebody's not creative enough to come up with their own thing. So they're just piggybacking off someone else's design. 
Yes. And I know, right. I know good artists borrow, great artists steal. Um, Campbell Steve. This is, yeah. if there's a legacy of Christianity, it's that, right? It's co opting. Right. Yeah, that's true. We're that's co opting other people's holidays. We're co opting their deities. We're co opting their, you know, what their deities are known for resurrection, uh, fertility, et cetera. And we're making yeah, it our right. own and we're Christianizing it. Yeah. Right. We did it with holidays. We've done it with t shirts and logos. We've done it with countries. I mean, hell, that's what we did to this country. Right. We co opted it and said, no, this is a Christian nation now. <laughs> city yeah. on a hill so i mean um, I, I don't know like maybe yeah. that's not the i'm sure that's not the application people want to hear but i mean that's the connection that i make uh, that i see kind of still going on yeah i mean eulogs and muscular jesus from northern yeah. europe who's taking over for odin uh so how do you square that with people who say, no, the message of Jesus is all about love and yeah, it doesn't really matter where it all came from and that's part of God's plan and thank God because here we are now and we've got this message of love to spread. That's, then by all means, spread your message of love. like <laughs> With all of your five exactly. mistresses. <laughs> uh, you couldn't, couldn't even wait. Couldn't get halfway through the show. Oh, um, Sorry. I just saw another tweet. Um, no, um, no, yeah, so... <laughs> Because I, I on, on the one hand, yes, I completely agree with the fact that none of this matters. Right. It, it doesn't matter what happened. Right. People don't need to know what happened to have their message of love or their message of hate or whatever it is. Like people, they don't need that. That's that is largely irrelevant. Right. I mean, Paul didn't need to know anything about Jesus to make up a religion about Jesus. So, like, why should anybody else? <laughs> true and he did rather well yeah himself. like okay again you see i'm not good at this application stuff <laughs> no that's i mean but that's that is interesting and to see what you know paul was doing and paul of course was writing before the gospel right. so you know the earliest christian texts that, that have been preserved are things that are co-opting i mean paul's co-opting you know the quote right. mystery religions and, but, and those but things. here's the other thing i mean if you look at it that way and maybe a little less cynical way um it also, don't let me send it. it also, I think, I don't know the best way to put this, but it is evidence of the contributions that everyone can make. Right? That, like, your message is, like, fine. And if you have a message you want to spread, then spread your message. And yes, I understand that you're going to be, make appeals to authority and those authorities are going to be Jesus or the Bible or whatever. And you're going to say that your message is the true message of Jesus. And that's fine. But at, at the end of the day, right? I mean, we have like everybody has their different messages and they're all trying to claim that they're the message of Jesus or whatever. Um, but I think in a more interesting way for me to read it is that like, let's hear the different messages and like, let's just say, hey, here's what I think. I know that's not what people want to do, but right. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe I would, you know, say that there is value in people's individual messages. Yeah. So it, it's what you've talked about before with appeals to authority. Yeah. Right. And, and being able to clearly distinguish that. So, you know, you and I might have different appeals to authority, but we can find common ground and we can, I mean, I, I, I learn from you every time we talk. Right. So, um, that informs, you know, my own views and my appeals to different authorities. Um, and that's ideally how this whole human endeavor goes down, I guess. But, uh, you know, when you start saying, well, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Muslim, Jew, Christian, whatever, but I'm a, you know, this. And while that sounds somewhat reasonable, I can't go with that because, um, you know, I'm a member of the Hall and faith and I can't go for that get it yeah it's a good song yeah anyway sorry I'm just <laughs> gonna let it sit. um have you heard the the acoustic version when they're in the, they're in the van and the girl uh, the girl the, the lady has a uh young she has like a uh, a kudzu and it's like the band and, and they all have like little small instruments no and they play i can't go for that by oh it's so good i'll put it in the show notes um so speaking of that speaking of appeals to authority and speaking of that that sort of idea of 
cynicism and privilege, you know, because I'm, I'm in a privileged spot yeah. and I'm able to be cynical about, you know, my faith or about, you know, things like Easter bunnies. Um, you know, so when I walk into Target last night at 10 o'clock and my orders were to buy a bottle of wine and to buy a 12 pack of uh, fizzy water. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, let me, let me go do that wife. Uh, so, you know, going to Target, I'm buying this and, and you see all the Easter candy out and I'm automatically cynical and I think, gosh, you know, this, this world would be so much better if all these posers would stop buying candy for their kids. And, you know, my, my eight year old is already asking, well, you know, what's the Easter bunny going to bring me? And I'm like, the Easter bunny is going to bring you salvation. So <laughs> shut up and, and you know, <laughs> you're going to love your salvation. Um, I'm not giving you candy. You've, you've got a cavity for God's sake. <laughs> so, you know, I, I get, I go into that hipster mode where, you yeah. know, you want to, you want to label the posers and say, gosh, you know, those people aren't, they don't get it. Um, and this happens all the time in academics yep. and, and in quote the Academy. Right. So there's a kind of a back and forth um, this week that I, I, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I just thought it was really interesting uh, a professor uh, named Ron Shrigley, I guess that's how you pronounce it, at the uh, University of Prince Edward Island up in Canada, wrote a piece for a publication called The Walrus, and it's titled Pass Fail. And the subtitle is An Inside Look at the Retail Scam Known as the Modern University. So he's, I guess he's Canadian, yeah. and he gets a little testy here, but it's pretty interesting. And he says, quote, from this article, I teach mostly bored youth who find themselves doing something they neither value nor desire, and in some cases are simply not equipped for, in order to achieve an outcome they are repeatedly warned is essential to their survival. What a dreadful trap. Rather than learning uh, freely and excelling, they've become shrewd managers of their own careers and are forced to compromise what is best in themselves, their honesty or their character, in order to, quote, make it in the world that we've created for them. And he goes on to talk about credentialing and how the Canadian system is broken and how, you know, the modern the university is your class and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, I read that and I, cause I saw it on Twitter and I thought, okay, that's, that's really interesting. And, um, it's now in the LA review of books, which you know, you're familiar with. Uh, and he's a professor of religious studies at, uh, university of PEI. So then I saw another, uh, response to that from a uh, blog called hookandeye.ca.canada. And um, the title is The Unbearable Privilege of Cynicism, which made me kind of stop because, you know, just like with the Easter stuff, I was like, oh, wait, that, you know, here we go. Because <laughs> I agreed so much with what Professor Shrigley had written. Uh, so um, this person who is, oh, it's more than one person. I'm not sure which one wrote this. They're all female, so I can say she. Um, this person, she wrote uh, last fall, he was in the LA Review, LA Review of Books bemoaning the unrelenting uh, vapidity, that's a great word, of today's university students, the soul-crushing inanity of teaching, the hollow commercialism of pedagogy, or pedagogy, riven with fads like student-centered learning and the flipped classroom. And now in the walrus, um, he says students are stupid and lazy, teaching is meaningless, the university is hollow, pedagogy is a farce, it's a race to the bottom. And sort of goes into... Uh, that perspective and um, says uh, later in the in the in the article. In fact, a, a key status building activity for uh, Shrigley and his ilk lies precisely in the sort of move he makes in these op eds. Call everyone else stupid and disavow, especially teaching or the dirty work of the academy, the care work, the feminized uh, the feminized labor work, which I thought was a really interesting response to that. Yeah. I because I'm a right. white male. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I hadn't considered, you know, that aspect of, of kind of the, I don't know, I, the way she puts it, the, uh, the dirty work of teaching, you know, kind of being above just the judgmental sort of, you're not as good as I am. So yeah, I'm going to disavow well, I, I myself. Think the, I this. think the good thing about that piece is that, um, she exposes one that like, he's essentially made a name for himself. Right. And he's, and she points out that he's basically a career adjunct, um, which I would not scoff at at all because I understand what the market is like right now. Um, but he does not present himself that way. Right. He presents himself as kind of bigger than that. Um, 
but the that he's kind of made a name for himself by complaining and that he has the privilege because he's a white male and looks like a professor right she also talks about that like the the phys- like his physicality he has like white hair yeah, he has right. dark rim glasses right he looks like if you google professor he looks like the kind of concept of professor that we have sounds like and <laughs> um <clears throat> Because of that, he has the privilege to say like, oh, all this is bad and it's wrong. And, and, you know, youth today, like they just don't get it. And like, you know, the you know education system is bad. Right. And this is very much what, you know, plenty of conservative outlets want to hear. Right. That's that's the complaint they want to hear. But she does a very good job of saying like he's also kind of perpetuating this idea that you have the life of the mind, which is a thoroughly masculine thing. Right. It's a white haired professor you know, sitting in an office full of books, you know, bemusing on whatever versus like the very real active dirty work of teaching, which takes work. It takes grading. It takes care for your students, right? It takes that. And like, that's not good enough, right? That's not. I've never, ever thought about that. I mean, that's just, that's my opinion to me. I think, yeah, it's a fantastic kind of takedown of, like, you know, saying essentially, like, let's look at the privilege that allows him to make the complaints he's making. Right. Because I, I, I used to make those complaints when I was a middle school teacher. And, you know, I've been talking to other schools recently, um, you know, consulting work and that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't say this, but, you know, there's there's some of that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a great conversation with a teacher or with a headmaster. And, um, you know, I. I like the flip classroom stuff and I like, I like the, the care that's involved in teaching, but I also like the sage on the stage type right. teaching yeah. you know, where there's a person up front, whether, you know, male or female or, or you know, uh, not gendered, whatever. Um, but I've never thought about teaching from this perspective and it was just, ugh, it was shocking. And I felt, felt so guilty, <laughs> guilty afterwards because I, you know, I, I like the Western tradition, you know, and those constructs. It's maybe, that, it's maybe you know, kind of how me. you feel, too, after you realize that the Dead Poet Society is maybe not the best model for education. Right? Yes, you right. so dirty because you're like, I still <laughs> yeah. love it so much. But like, no, my job is not yes. to make them appreciate this thing that we're reading. Right. Suck the narrow. I love it. I was quoting right. that. Like, I quoted that whole speech where, you know, they're looking at like the young guys that went before them and he's like whispering over their shoulders. Yeah. (laughs) Boys seize the day. I I quoted that whole speech to Trinity the other day. (laughs) I will not deny that I've actually done that with most Uh, guys. It's so good, right? Okay. All right. So, but it's it's the same. I I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's the same kind of feeling where you're like, oh, ah, man, you're torn. But, and I think that's the good thing about pieces like this that can kind of draw out the privilege and kind of make those of us who have the privilege recognize it and then think about it and then try to work against it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I just yeah. wanted so to read highlight those. This I mean, yeah, and... we'll put them in the show notes. So they're both fantastic. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, you read the first one and you think, yeah, that's right. But then, um, you know, in, in the cynicism piece, she, she goes into, uh, or she links to that, uh, post that we talked about last summer, the yes. I'm a liberal professor and my liberal yes. students. Oh, what a horrible post. Yeah. I can't believe Vox put that up, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but you read that at first blush as a white male or, you know, whoever, but you know, for me, and I think, yeah, you know, that, that makes some good points or you hear Donald Trump speaking and you think, yeah, I, you know, I, I can agree with two or three of those things. Or, you know, for me, I walk into target and I think, God, stupid Easter egg candy, but you know, how and why does my cynicism yeah. play into that? But, it's, but yeah. you know, how how far can I go in self-criticizing? But also, I don't know. I, f- I don't feel like I can ever say anything ever again. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going <laughs> to, you know, just for being on this podcast, I'm talking out loud as a white male <laughs> and, and I, I shouldn't do that because um, I'm going to say something boneheaded and not even realize it, you know? Yeah, but at least, okay, yeah, so. but at least like, you know, we're trying Right. I mean, right. You're, and, like and this whole yeah. segment is you're like, man, I didn't realize my privilege. Now I'm realizing my privilege. Right. Uh, that's totally. that's like exactly totally. the right thing to do, I think. So. But no, I mean, a lot of the response yeah. is the like, it's this idea of like the hoi polloi. Right. Like I'm better than the many. Right. It's kind of really like derogatory, like Greek term that, you know, the elites would use about, you know, it's just the many. Right. But the hoi polloi. Um, 
which we shouldn't say the hoi polloi because it's like the the mini but whatever yeah that's like you know mr hair you know smith well that's leonardo da vinci um, (laughs) right but anyway uh yeah and i think that there's kind of a lot of that and by virtue of the space that we are able that we just naturally occupy because of systems uh, right now we're kind of inclined toward that so right but but right i mean the difference is like you're not trump right where trump is saying like I don't have a problem with women. Like I attack everybody. And he says like that woman over there, I don't know if you saw this, like that woman over there, like I have respect for her. That woman over there was Andrea Mitchell, who is like one of the like longest serving, (laughs) most well-known political reporters in the country. And he's like that woman over there in the red dress. Like, yeah. Okay. Tell me again how you love women, Donald Trump. So, right. At least you're not doing that. That's interesting. I, I wonder, I mean, I, I don't know. That that's fascinating. You know, and and you hear people say, "Well, yeah, I'm not colorblind. I treat everybody the same way." And, yeah. Oh, I am color you know. colorblind. Yeah, and that's that's part of the problem. But right, yeah. I am colorblind, right? I'm sorry. It's because when you think you're colorblind and you think you're treating everyone the same way, you're actually not. Because in fact, right. what you're doing is if you say, well, I'm colorblind, I'm treating everyone the same way, then all you're doing is you're just maintaining the status quo, which is not actually making things better for people, other people, right? What did Logos call them? People of ethnicity. (laughs) And and they've removed that tweet. We can go into it. No, we don't have to. But uh, suffice it to say that... (laughs) It was a big deal this week. That was a big deal, and it rightfully uh, blew up in their face. So... <clears throat> um for yeah. two second wrap up logos you know they, they do uh they do biblical studies materials like study guides software, that kind of thing, yeah. and, and software right and they they had a march madness type countdown yeah. i believe with i don't know if it was 64 people or what uh of different authors and you, know, you could vote to get to the final everyone's doing this right uh so <laughs> there was a very small number of uh, people of color, a very small number of, of, of women. <laughs> so it was mostly white males and I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's, what were you thinking? Um, so someone called them out and they responded with, we know we wish more people of color and women would write books about theology, which is not how you respond a, but B like take the intern off the social media account and put someone who's a professional on there. Um, and I'm not going to be cynical about them because I'm trying not to be cynical now because I think cynicism itself is a a male-dominated privilege thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so the fact that that was a response was grating to a lot of people. So that became a really big issue uh, earlier this week uh, in, in the biblical studies academics world. And rightly so. I mean, I, I think I'm glad someone called them out. And I'm glad someone um, – I'm glad lots of people who are friends of the show as well. Uh, responded in kind with with great recommendations of, of people because I, I actually learned of a, a few new books that I wanted to try. I've got I've got those down in the show notes. Um, you know, scholarship that I I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't uh, been observing that that back and forth. So yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Right? Man. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and you know, over Oof. at Marginalia, right? I mean, we've been we had this. Did we? I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I mean, it's public, so I think I know it's fine to talk about here, but you know, kind of did the quote unquote autopsy and realized like we are woefully underperforming as far as diversity is concerned. And like we, it's our responsibility to do something about that. Like we've never pretended to be exhaustive. Um, and so we are making decisions all along the way and we need to review what those decisions are and how we make them. Um, so we, you know, we're trying to recognize that, Hey, we've made mistakes and we want to be better. We'll see, you know, hopefully we can be, hopefully we're, you know, putting a plan in place that will, you know, work toward that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it takes active work and, you know, it's particularly easy for white males to only think about white males. And particularly when you have, you know, organizations like Logos or whatever that are saying, oh, well, um, you know, yeah, it sucks, but like only, you know, it's pretty much only white dudes that were writing theology that matters, you know? So, and weren't, weren't they the same ones yeah. that put out like a week before, like, Hey, people love our stuff. And it was like a, um, like a PR piece. And it had quotes from like five different professors and all of them were white males. And it's like, um, hello. <laughs> like, this is not that hard to figure out people. 
Well, but it is in some ways, you know, and, and I, I hear, and I, I mean, I've thought because of, again, my place of privilege, I've thought, wow, things are changing so rapidly and it feels like the sixties and, you know, instead of, you know, just race and, and gender, now we're going into this transitional period where, you know, we're having to think about the rights of, of transgendered people or, you know, whether people in Charlotte can use the bathroom, depending on, you know, <laughs> you their, cannot use the bathroom or Charlotte. Charlotte. That's what the name of the I mean, geez. Yeah. So, you know, that plus just the total deconstruction that's happening around the facade of, of the white male yeah. hegemony, you know, like that's mind bending to think about, uh, you know, even from my position. Uh, but for, for, for me to say that itself is, is, you know, upholding that system, you know, for me to say, wow, things are changing a lot. It's like, no, actually things have always been like this, but for the first time, you know, the powers that be are, are starting to realize, you know, with, with tools like social media or with tools like the web and with tools like, you know, expanding consciousness or whatever, we're getting to the point where we're welcoming more voices to the power tables rather than saying, oh, that's cute. You want to be a girl now? No, you know, you can't use that bathroom. Uh, that's only for white males who wear, um, you know, suits or whatever. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's hard to walk that line, but it's, it's, it's wonderful because I feel, you know, for me personally, to be asegetical about it, um, I feel constantly challenged, you know, by that realization. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think that's right. That's good. I mean, that's how you grow. That's how you become better people. I think. I mean, it's like unless yeah, you're in North, North Carolina, yeah. Which, <clears throat> oh man, I had a little Twitter rant last night about that. So, um, yeah, yeah, just absolutely despicable. I mean, I'll say that much. So, uh, what they've done there, it is, and it's it's heartbreaking to see. You know, somewhere that was once held up, it's kind of a a beacon of not enlightenment, but a, you know, a beacon of, of being different in a otherwise, you know, solid conservative south and uh you know south carolina is now the the more uh i guess progressive uh carolina which is yeah, strange it's crazy times we live in so but i and also think north carolina is just another example that like if you're fighting for progressive things like i am um that and i never thought it was but a lot of people apparently did that like the supreme court ruling in obergefell v hodges for same-sex marriage was like the end of the battle and it wasn't it was like just the beginning you know and really it was like oh, a shot I mean, across the bow and you know there are people doubling down now this is what we i mean this is what we said on this show immediately afterward what we're going to see now is we're going to see every, everybody's going to start focusing on so-called religious liberty now and that's where the battles are going to be and that's exactly what we've seen it's exactly where the battles have been. They've been around this idea of religious liberty, and you need to let me discriminate against people that I don't like, and I get to say it's about my religion, right? Um, so, yeah, and I obviously have a lot of critiques of the Democratic Party, too, because they basically not cared at all about state and local elections for a decade or more, and this is what you get from that. <clears throat> so, yeah, I agree. Especially in places like North Carolina. Um, yeah, having been involved in politics in North Carolina, you know, I can tell you some frustrating stories about trying, trying to get the National yeah. Party to uh, help us out, even when we delivered North Carolina as a blue state yes. in 2008. Uh, and that was quite the shock. And everyone was so happy. And Obama came and, you know, visited Asheville as a result. But it was, you know, we had to yank teeth. But, I mean, uh, North Carolina voted for a Democrat in 2008. Hey, right, <laughs> so exactly. Eight years ago, North Carolina voted for a Democrat, and now they did this yesterday. I mean, right. it's just absolutely crazy with the the um, the change that's happened very quickly there. So do we want to talk about what's trending on Twitter in the last few minutes, or do we, or do we want to be above it? That's the question. That is the big question for today. Did Kim Kardashian release a new photo? Probably, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, I see. I see. The Cubs have released their uh, opening day that's twenty-five exactly man roster. Let me click on that. About. That's that's yeah. what I'm looking for. So Ted Cruz has some girlfriends. Allegedly, we need to make sure that we say that. Allegedly, according Allegedly. to the National Enquirer, uh, right. Ted Cruz has had um, extra. Okay, this this is why do we call them extramarital affairs? 
right? If it's an affair, it is, right, by definition, extramarital, right? What am I missing? Well, extra means outside of, right? Or beyond. Yeah, but you can't so have beyond. an affair inside of your marriage. Well, some people can, depending on their lifestyle. Yeah, but then it wouldn't be an affair <laughs> because your partner would know about it and presumably be accepting of it. No, legally, in, in some states, that's still considered an affair. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's yeah. okay. some of that, but... Yeah, you know, in some states, even with right. So we we get to know, thank our you know Puritan forefathers and mothers for writing their religious views into our laws. You know, really freedom, thing that, the, you know the thing that conservatives are like <laughs> freaking out about Muslims doing, which they're not even trying to do here, but that we have a long tradition of doing here um, with Christian ideas, so, you know, quote unquote Christian ideas for certain groups. And it's funny, it how, that is funny how that works out. <laughs> so according to the National Enquirer, Ted Cruz has yeah. had affairs with five women. Um, some of we are not going to talk about any names here or anything, but some of whom have been identified on various yeah. corners of the Internet. Um, allegedly identified. Um, there are all these questions about whether it's, you know, Trump is behind this or not. And honestly, that's the most interesting angle for us. Right. It's kind of the the back and forth between Cruz and Trump. And so it started with, we should say a picture getting released of Trump's wife, um, Melania, which by the way, is the same name uh, of a very prominent rich woman in uh, late antique Christianity. And there's a volume coming out in honor of Liz Clark, the, whom I mentioned earlier, the author of reading renunciation and the inimitable uh, scholar of late antique Christianity. Um, just a absolute coincidence, I think. But anyway, uh, Melania Trump um, was a model. I think everybody knows this. And so from like a GQ shoot she did for GQ UK like 15 years ago where she's naked, but you can't you know, see anything that our society has deemed uh, genitalia. Um, Nipples. Right. Or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and it says like this could be, you know, the next first lady or you could vote for Ted Cruz. Um and this was distributed heavily in Utah, right? Uh, to right to try to you know pull on the kind of conservative family values heartstrings of Utah Mormons. Uh, I we would obviously denounce that. I mean, we are, I think, rightfully a lot. Most media organizations called that out as slut shaming. I think that's exactly what that is, um, right? We celebrate Putin when he's on a horse with a shirt off. I mean, hell, we celebrated a lot. Martin O'Malley when he would, you know, come out of the ocean with a shirt off. So um, obviously double standards there. So that was bad. That was kind of the initial thing. And Cruz or uh, Trump thought that Cruz was behind it. Um, it's not clear if there are any connections to Cruz and Cruz obviously flatly denied it. And Trump said, you know, he's come to uh, become fond of calling him Lion Ted Cruz, which is just great. He's got a name for everybody, right? Though his name for Hillary is not really sticking, right? So he's got lying Ted Cruz, you know, low energy wow. Jeb, Wait little Marco. <laughs> but with Hillary, he keeps trying to, what's he trying to call her? Um, incompetent Hillary, which does not have a good ring yeah, to it. But- and also, like, if Hillary has any strength, it's probably her competence, right? So, um, Yeah, or, or she's not, she doesn't have enough, uh, what, what does he say? Enough yeah. vigor. You know, she, she, she has to go rest for two or three days. She has to go lay down or lie down. Um, right. And so, yeah, so he says, well, no, Lion Ted Cruz was behind this. Then he says, don't keep, you know, if you keep lying, Lion Ted Cruz, I'm going to spill the beans about your wife. Um, so there were great Twitter jokes about that. You know, the beans will be spilt and there will be the greatest beans ever spilt. Um, <laughs> and then two and days then later, later <laughs> beans some spilled. beans are spilt about Ted Cruz, right? Not about his wife, but about Ted Cruz. Do you want to? Elaborate more on that. Uh, so, yeah, first, Ted Cruz says uh, on Facebook, the late great platform of the 21st century, I want to be crystal clear. Performative. performative. Hashtag performative. So whatever he says afterwards doesn't <laughs> right. really matter if it's true or not, because he just wants to be crystal clear. You know, these attacks are garbage. Doesn't say they're not right. Uh, for Donald J. Trump to enlist his friends at the National Enquirer and to and his henchmen. political henchmen to do his bidding, I'm sorry, the lawn service is outside. I'm privileged. <laughs> to do his bidding shows you that there's... Your privilege is showing. No, that Donald, 
<laughs> I feel so bad. I'm not outside in 90 degree heat with all the pot. No, I pay well. Uh, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm a fraud. These smears are completely false. They're offensive to Heidi and me. They're offensive to our daughters. Poor kids. Yeah. And they're offensive to everyone Donald continues to attack personally. Donald Trump's consistently disgraceful behaviors beneath the office we are seeking and we are not going to follow. To which Donald responds, and we're not to no, read the whole thing. You have to read the whole thing. I mean, this is, it's not like, just read the whole statement. It's a, well, yeah, yeah. You can stop, you can stop at the, before the last sentence there, but it's, it's good. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's brilliant. It, it is the most brilliant political statement I've read in a long time. I mean, this is. When when the Trump Memorial is built on the on the National you, you Mall, you think this is this, this is will what be on one side on it, <laughs> just like yeah. the Gettysburg Address or the second inaugural. I have no idea whether or not the cover story about Ted Cruz in this week's issue of National Enquirer, which you can pick up at your local newsstand now, is true or not. But I love the way he uses the name National Enquirer, right? So he's he's saying like, go read it. Uh, it's true or not? But I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Did not know about it and have not, as yet, read it. Trump likes his commas. I have nothing to do with the National Enquirer on, on sale today. And unlike Lion Ted Cruz, <laughs> I did not surround myself with political hacks and henchmen. Little throwback going on meta there. And then pretend total innocence. Ted Cruz's problem with the National Enquirer on sale today is his and his alone. <laughs> and while they're... <laughs> And while they were right about O.J. Simpson, John Edwards, and many others, I certainly hope that they are not right about Lion Ted Cruz. Oh, it's it is. It is brilliant. I look forward to spending the week in Wisconsin winning the Republican nomination and ultimately the presidency in order to make America great again. Wow. That that sentence there. While while they were right about O.J., John Edwards and many others. I certainly hope they're not right about Lion Ted. So we've been talking for like two days in my class about intertextuality. (laughs) Like this is great intertextuality, right? I need need my students to read this because like what he does when he juxtaposes OJ Simpson and John Edwards with Ted Cruz is he changes the meaning and the way people view Ted Cruz. Right, because so he didn't invoke Gary Hart. He didn't talk about Jimmy Swaggart. He he didn't talk about... Uh, I mean, who Tiger Woods? He doesn't invoke those people that you know most of us know, but he he specifically talks about John Edwards, who you know I actually loved John Edwards. I gave a lot of money to John Edwards. Show him my privilege again. I really liked him. Um, and I was on an airplane and I saw his speech and it was really sad. So John Edwards and OJ, you know, two very polarizing figures who people in the political world know, but also that OJ throw out there for kind of that rabid Donald Trump, yep. you know, fandom. Like they're, they're not going to denounce Jimmy Swagger because, you know, they grew up with Jimmy Swagger and he held the Bible and it was, man, man, he mistake. had that way of holding yeah. the Bible and he was a good preacher, you know, and we forgave him. OJ though. I mean, that black guy killed that yep. pretty white girl. Yep. You know, he killed that mockingbird, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I, it was, it, I mean, it is, it is, it's brilliant. It's um, it is. I mean, there's no way. If he did it by accident, I don't. I don't think. I, I think like there, like the one thing that that Donald Trump is good about is he understands how to attack. Right. Well, and, and attack in such a way that it puts you right. on the defensive. Like he he in, he in has a, a a maybe not unique but a highly honed ability to find exactly what the weakness is that will put you on your heels. And you know, yeah. so I mean, Jeb, it's like, Oh, come on, Jeb, you know, perk up, right. have some energy. And then, Jeb you know, little Marco there, you know, repeating himself, you know, and, um, yeah. And Marco tried to do that with the hands and put yeah. Trump on the defensive, but you can't do that with someone like that. No, you can't beat him at his you know, you game. Can't bully exactly. Bully. Exactly. So, um, right. we have no idea if there's any truth to the, allegations about Ted Cruz's personal life. Um, personally, I don't really care. Like, I don't know that I don't really think it affects how people govern. Um, I think if you have made a commitment to a partner and then you have 
you know, lied about that and done things that the partner would not be approving of, I think that's wrong, you know, personally and morally. But um, I also am generally unconcerned with who you may or may not be sleeping with. Um, See, I could say that about like Bill Clinton with Hillary, you know, say, you know, all the stuff in the 90s was right. And Hillary was like, yeah, go, you know, have relations, whatever, with whoever. Um, You know, that's one thing. But, you know, for Tad to have wrapped himself up in the, you know, in the turn shroud of Jesus and and said, you know, I am the evangelical conservative candidate who stands for family values and religious liberty. And then to go do this, you know, on the outside, that looks terrible for him. But at the same time, as a friend pointed out, there are lots of people in that Sharia Christianity side of things, you know, who are, you know, misogynistic bigots and they view their wife as someone who stays home and cooks and cleans or whatever. And, you know, if she's not doing her duties and I'm going to go get what I need on the side and, you know, I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness, but you know, a man's going to be a man, right? Yep. Well, uh, yeah. So I think there's some of that broism. And that's there. probably true. That's probably true. Uh, I certainly know that um, experiences I've had in my life at various um, conservative fundamentalist churches have been such that uh, there was very public knowledge of men that were having sex with women that weren't their wives that were allowed to be deacons and allowed to continue right. to be deacons and allowed right. to be deacons for multiple terms. Uh, but if you had been divorced and remarried, but weren't sleeping around on your wife, you could not be a deacon. So, yeah, I mean, yep. so we completely understand what that culture is like. Um, so, yeah, and I don't like I said, we have no idea if if any of this is true or not. Uh, but it, it's the other yeah. thing is that like generally this kind of stuff stays in what are kind of called whisper campaigns, right? You hear it in like among insiders and things like that and low public, you know, like low circulation publications, but you don't usually hear it on like in large national outlets, but already today, like NBC, CNN have picked it up and they're talking about it. So. Yeah. Cause the campaign acknowledged crazy. it. Crazy. I think Crazy. Dumb. Like wait and <laughs> wait until the basketball game starts tonight. It's Good Friday. No one's going to pay attention yes. to the political stuff until at least Monday. And by then, this is going to be old news if you don't really make it a big deal. But now it's a big deal, which leads me to believe, Thomas. And I've just come up with this as I, as I've been sitting here thinking of this. This was all orchestrated by the uh, by the Cruz campaign. I think this is a, a play by Cruz, not Cruz himself, but by the campaign to make Cruz more human because he's going to come out and apologize if, if it were to happen. But even if not to make this thing mainstream, to blow it up and to acknowledge it early on Friday rather than late on Friday. Um, and, and for it to have been with the alleged people, it was with, you know, some of these pol- political insiders, uh, even if it's true. And even if it comes out and he says, yes, I'm sorry, you know, I've, I've had impure thoughts and whatever, you know, please forgive me. Um, it connects him more with some of those Sharia Christian type folks, but it also um, gives him a, a level of humanity that he hasn't really had, you know, in, in so far in the election. I don't know. So I think, I think it's an inside job. I think this is Judas delivering up Cruz and saying, you know what you're talking about bringing about the kingdom of God. All right, fine. I'm going to go talk to the authorities about the thing and I'm going to force your hand. Um, I think, you know, maybe somebody on the inside thought we're not going to win the nomination unless, you know, we, we get ahead of some things and we, we make Cruz more human. So I think this is uh this is Cruz's uh, Good Friday moment. Maybe, maybe. So this is the day this is the and day he gets crucified and then he he resurrects on the Sunday morning talk shows. That's what I'm telling you. I mean, uh, I just someone just tweeted a gif of uh, Frank Underwood <laughs> drinking some scotch. <laughs> I I mean. It's easy to think this is all Trump orchestrated, and it could be. But to think about it from the point of view of maybe being from the cruise folks, I don't know. I think that's that's really interesting. So we'll leave you with that as you are contemplating the resurrection of <laughs> who may perhaps be your personal Lord and Savior this weekend. Um, and regardless, I'm not making light of, of infidelity. I think it's a terrible thing, and, and this is... You know, uh, such a terrible thing for uh, for Cruz's kids, you know, let alone running for yeah. president yeah. and having all that, you know, come out. And 
I, I would never run for president, you know, with kids. Um, so, you know, God bless them and <laughs> keep them because it's going to be a rough and rocky ride, yeah. regardless of what happens here in the next couple of, of months uh, going into, into July. And then who knows what's going to happen before then. But yeah, keep your eye up. And it's, it's going to be a um, interesting weekend, I guess. What a time to be alive. <sighs> See, I saw someone call that out as being uh, having having no inspiration and having given up and having been being cynical when you when you use that when you use that phrase. It, it probably is. Yeah. Probably is. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, as, as white men, we can't say anything in 2016. We just shut up and like go live on an island and, and see if we can, you know, spawn ourselves into some some sort of acceptable, you know, form of, of humanity that can. Uh, I say we keep yeah. talking, keep trying. I think we're trying to fight the good fight. So, um if you also yeah. think we're trying to fight the good fight, then uh, you like that? You like that? <laughs> Don't try this at home, folks. Sounds good. Um, then you can follow us on Twitter. You can find Sam at Sam Harrelson. You can find me at Thomas Whitley. Uh, it's uh, We are on all of your favorite podcasting apps. So find us there. Leave us feedback. Uh, rate us. Give us as many stars as they will allow you to. That really helps. Um, send us feedback. Ask us questions. Give us ideas. We love to hear from you. And as always, you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm.